Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our unnamed podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about our third day in Vienna. So, as always, my name's Davison. I'm Ozzy. And I'm Will. Today's po- uh, podcast episode is sponsored by the Viennese tap water, uh, which tastes really, really good, and we're all staying hydrated out here, so that's great. Now, a major thing we did today was we visited the Exile Art exhibit. This exhibit shows Austrian musicians who had to flee from Austria during the Nazis' rise to power. So what do you all think about it? It was really great. Um, the exhibit uh, was in the university, you know, one of the music universities there where we've been having our rehearsals. Um, it's curated by the founder of the university and he's also the man who has conducted all the research that was featured. Inside the museum uh, there were a lot there were plaques throughout the floor uh, as well as lining the walls, um, each featuring a different artist uh, telling their story uh, and also the, these plaques included a little shadow box uh, with an artifact. There was also a timeline of events on the walls as well as different stations to listen to different composers uh, and instrumentalists' uh, pieces. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, I actually got to listen to some of Korngold's music, um, who fled Austria. Um, it's really amazing. One of the things that the curator said is that um, after going to Hollywood, he people would say, oh, your music sounds like movie music. And it's like, no, the, the movie music sounds like Korngold music. I just think that was something interesting that we learned. But um, it was really um, sort of breathtaking to see all of these musicians and popular musicians at that who fled Austria most of whom were Jewish I believe he said that there were only what there was only one person who fled that um, wasn't Jewish it was just um, very eye-opening to see the effect that the Nazis had on music in Vienna alone and Austria speaking off of uh, Korngold uh, a little bit extra on that it was interesting because he basically helped create the modern style of orchestral soundtracks. Um, People like Hans Zimmer took inspiration from that and they in turn took, uh, inspired others and shows kind of that generational music. Right. Mm. But also a lot of these Austrian composers after the war didn't return. Mm. Usually because the underlying prejudices that were still there during World War II still happened, so they were both not invited back for their work, and their music wasn't uh, brought in into repertoire or as proper uh, orchestral studies. Mm -hmm. Right. I think um, one of the um, most interesting things that we learned about just, like, the music being taken away from Vienna and Austria was um, just the total, like disregard of jazz music um, mm-hmm. which was um, considered degenerate by the Nazis mm-hmm. um, just just by making jazz and it was it was strange to hear that um, although it wasn't allowed in Austria and in Germany and the ever-growing Nazi Empire um, jazz was actually played in the concentration camps which was um, it was very it was almost kind of touching to me I thought it was Um, sort of ironic how they would use this music to sort of um, console people and help them feel better 
Um, mm. But outside those walls, they weren't allowed to use it. I find it a less touching, more twisted. It's mm. the, yeah, we, we find this degenerate, but we'll put you, torture you and kill you, yeah. and then we'll, yeah, it's, and we'll play the music that we banned in the place we are going to die. Yeah, right. I agree. Oh, some heavy stuff there. Same thing, uh, another one of the composers that I, another composer that I noticed that stood out to me was Carl Flesch. Carl Flesch, if you're a violinist or know anything about classical violin training, you know, you probably have heard of the Carl Flesch scale studies, um, which is a book of scales and exercises that is pretty standard in the violin world, as, at least where, I, uh, where we come from. So uh, to see his name as one of those who was, you know, exiled from the place where, you know, he lived and worked um, and didn't return to, sorry, we might be getting a little loud. We're sitting, we're currently sitting in our hostel lobby, so we have some, some traffic, you know, as it goes. Anyway, so to the fact that I currently study from one of the scale books, written by someone who, you know, possibly wouldn't have survived, uh, couldn't have survived. It makes me wonder how many more people were successfully um, killed by this Nazi, by the Nazi regime. Mm. Um, and it kind of strikes a chord in, for me personally, because as an Armenian, um, I, um, my ancestors have also experienced my, you know, the ancestors of my people have experienced prejudice like this. Uh, so I'm wondering what could have come of those people if they had not been, if they had also not been killed. So lots of good things to think about. And a museum like this that preserves those is really special and I think important and valid and necessary uh, for recognition. So that's, yeah. we got yeah. a taste of that. Yeah, the director stated there's a cultural hole mm. created by that Nazi regime and that one of the goals of the museum is to bring that back into Austria. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very eye-opening experience. Um, it was, um, yeah. I think, um, so after we went to Exile Art, um, we ended up going on to our master class um, and we... Um, sort of got, um, as Chellis, Will, and I um, got a lesson, um, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Um, it was a very um, constructive and very um, educational experience, I think. Yeah. So one of our, uh, the principal cellists of our orchestra performed the fourth box suite, um, or the Alamond of the fourth box suite to this Vien Viennese uh teacher and uh, professional musician and in master classes they will perform and then they'll be critiqued and guided as they improve their music mm -hmm. the big thing with this is it helps show us a difference between American style of teaching and performance mm -hmm. and a more Austrian style mm -hmm. the major thing that at least I got from it were two things it was it was an emphasis on the box suites themselves and reminding ourselves to em to show that these are dances mm. the except with the exception of the preludes the rest of the movements of a suite are dance music and in turn should be highlighted in a way 
that hypothetically you could dance to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that made uh, gong end up giving shape and emphasis on the note on the notes that would signify the beats of a dance. Yes. Which basically drove the music forward. Yeah. And I think as a cellist, um, I think you would agree that um, it was very... Um, it was, it was really cool to kind of see how these small changes really affect music so much. Like, he, um, this cellist had Gung play um, the music as he played it the first time, um, and then he said, now do this, but with a little more emphasis on these beats. And we, I kind of found myself almost, like, dancing in my seat to it because it was like it had a, it had a beat, and it was very... Um, it was sort of like a waltz almost that you would hear. Mm. The distinction Davison you just made that uh, the word in his, in our cellist, in our guest cellist's uh, words, he said it's the difference between pulse and tempo. Yeah. Right? Um, And I think that's really important. And even I can, you know, take that into my studies because Bach does write similar works for violin, um, also very standard violin repertoire. Um, And so even as a violinist, I could listen to this master class and hear these comments uh, and hear the different techniques that Gung was able to um, try in front of us and kind of think about how I could use them. Other techniques that stood out to me were the use, um, less use of vibrato. Vibrato uh, is taught pretty young for strings and as such uh, becomes kind of a habit. I think all three of us will agree with that. Um, but there are times when vibrato can be distracting uh, to the tone and even stylistically inappropriate. Right. And I think that goes back to uh, one of our last rehearsals that we had with um, with Yerb, who said that vibrato, uh, especially between the cellos and the basses, um, the cellos and the basses have a very unique um, sort of layering to them. They are kind of separated by an octave. And when we use too much vibrato, that octave becomes very shaky. So um, mm-hmm. it was just, that was just two things that I kind of found similar between um, this cellist and what Yerk was telling us in rehearsal. And also, there was an emphasis between both Yerk and the guests, Vini's cellist, on vibrato as an ornament mm. and not articulation. Right. Mm. Uh, it's a pretty it's common habit of us use vibrato as a crutch to help phrase and articulate our music instead of using, relying on our right hand. Yes. We, when he made gong not use vibrato at all to force that and then only have him use it as an extra ornament to the emphasized, no, emphasized notes, mm-hmm. it helped give it shape and give it almost a structure where it could flow. Right. And when put into uh, practice, when Gong actually played it, it was um, very nice to see um, how easy, not easy it is, but how um, quick you can kind of make it work. And it was very a very small change, um, and I think a change that we were all surprised by, but it made such a difference. Mm-hmm. And that was also seen when the cellist critiqued the President's Quartet. Right. As they all had a beautiful romantic vibrato. Mm-hmm. But in exchange, 
then he wanted to push them to use their bow as the way to phrase and give that shape instead of using the vibrato. And that's done through bow, um, through bow speed and the amount of bow used per note. Uh, it was really, it was interesting to see them perform their, you know, a few measures of their piece without vibrato. As a violinist, I could hear Mary, uh, Mary Kelly, our first violin, our first violinist, um, I could hear her kind of shying away from her, you know, high notes in, you know, in position on the E string. Those are really hard notes for violinists to play without vibrato because it's kind of, it's in those higher registers, it's squeakier. Um, naturally, the notes are closer together. That's, you know, based on, that's how the instruments are designed, the notes are closer together, so it's harder to be in tune, and that's kind of another way we use vibrato as a crutch, so there are always ways, even, you know, our most advanced musicians can improve and re just totally rethink their technique and how they're used to doing things, um, and like Davidson says, instantly see the difference and how it can be used in the future. Right. All right, so why don't we move on to the next thing we did today, which uh, was the Art History Museum, um, otherwise nor- known as the Kustistorsius. I think that's how you say it in yes. German. But that was good. Um, <laughs> so why don't we uh, get into that? What did you guys think? Um, I loved the just the size of the place. It oh. was beyond the amount of time we had. Oh, yeah. Mm. It would have taken at least a day to get through there. It's right. full of paintings and sculptures. Artifacts. Stuff from the Renaissance or the Baroque, even some of the Gothic paintings. Mm. It created stuff covering the both the religion and the mythological, and it was just all kind of thrown into this just one building Mm-hmm. which, as one of our professors spoke about, is the ideas of those original museums was to take these interesting ideas and objects mm-hmm. and just collect and then show to the mm-hmm. rest. Yeah. Like, um, one of the things that I saw in there, um, I don't know if you guys saw it too, was um, the unicorn horn, which they actually turned into a... a, a not a goblet, but it was it was sort of a cup that um, you know the elites or uh, some higher class members back in uh, that time would have uh, drank out of. And uh, for everyone that doesn't know what a unicorn horn is, it's actually um, a narwhal horn. Um, but you know who would have known it was a narwhal horn back in that time? Um, so they passed it off as a unicorn horn. And these objects that would be found in nature, they would sort of um, decide that they were endowed um, by the creator with some sort of mystical power. Um, So they would add human art um, to these um, objects and sort of turn them into, um, you know, these vibrant uh, pieces of art that we are able to see now in the museum. Mm -hmm. The the artifacts kind of tell a story um, that the, that our ancestors, you know, experienced firsthand, um, but were able to see that story, that they found these items that they believed to be the purest substances, and they used them um, and believed them to make them closer uh, to their deity and um, sort of sort of be like a 
connection to the divine. And I think that's really beautiful and special because it's the fields of science and art um, and beliefs united um, in one in one object. Mm-hmm. And during that time, especially of the, where the museum started rising in popularity, the what, there was a surge of enlightenment mm-hmm. that both pushed the arts and the sciences, but created a more individualistic approach to religion. And these artists and collectors would find the things in nature and would put a part of man into them to create something closer to in God's name. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I did enjoy, there was... This is less of the museum itself, but one of on the tours. We emphasized trying to look at art, not just without the guide of critics and other collectors, and to try to analyze art that is hundreds of years old through our lens. Mm. We tend to, especially when discussing classical media, look at it with these pre-existing um, critiques and thoughts and never try to, and it's rare to try to actually tackle the art on its own terms. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, even when we went through, we did have audio guides. And of course, it's interesting to hear what the, the you know, experts have to say about each of the pieces and of course they know and they could tell us more um, you know potentially more interesting historical facts Um, you know there's no way I would have known um, some of the stories behind these objects uh, if it wasn't for those and if it wasn't for our tour guides and our professors um, guiding us Um, but like Will said having your own sort of art compass I don't know if that's a good word, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to run with it. It's an art compass. It's your own way of viewing something and I think that art is meant art is meant for the for the viewer. That's right. the that's the point or for the listener uh, for the reader. Right. Um, and I think um, just going off of that um, when we were with Dr. Bear going through um, some of the some of the paintings um, in this museum, one of the ones that I found particularly inter- interesting was the All Saints painting by Durer, um, and he kind of presented this painting to us and said, don't read the description, don't listen to your audio, mm. audio tapes, just look at this for a couple minutes and then tell me what you think the meaning is, what the, the name is, the topic. Um, so we were looking at this painting with um, um, an image of Christ, um, God the Father, and the um, the Holy Spirit sort of making this Trinity shape, um, and it was a very it was a very interesting painting. Um, but we all kind of gave our own input on it, and then we went in to talk about the history behind the painting. Um, some of us, I I think my guess for the title was the Holy Trinity, um, but it ended up being all saints. And I just I think this is the way that we should approach art, and it's very interesting to like experience this firsthand. Yeah. And an interesting part of that is even with the centuries of time that separates us, mm-hmm. the art, especially the ones that are very good, they end up being able to 
either shed light on an idea that connected with the past mm -hmm. or they give us a way to understand it that we can connect and unlock more about ourselves mm -hmm. is this art is clearly not worship but it's transcended trans it's sort of, the word i i that you're that i'm thinking of when you talk about this is transcendent um and I think it goes. It goes for it goes for the music we're playing too. This way of the this mu the music uh, we're playing, as well as the books we read in school, um, it, it be, having a mind that can view these different types of media from so long ago, um, even though it's not you know what we think of as relatable, having a mind that is able to do that and learning this way of thinking that we, you know, sort of experimented with at the uh, Kunsthistorisches Museum, I think is part of being a well-rounded thinking thinker and individual. And I'd bounce off Oz is this blend of being able to take art on its own terms and understand the context allows us to appreciate the core values mm -hmm. of set pieces. Mozart, we interact with it as in the present as musicians, but we end up learning the stylistics of the classical setting. Or when we read, let's go with The Grapes of Wrath, mm -hmm. we take from our own, we see the inhumanity and the cruelty shown to others. Mm -hmm. And then we combine that with the classist criticisms on the poverty that was sparked by the Dust Bowl. Right. And when you are able to combine your personal takes from the text itself and the context behind it, we're able to understand more and use those pieces to both communicate current ideas with the world around us. Totally mm -hmm. immersive. Yeah. All right, so if uh, we're done talking about the Art History Museum, why don't we um, wrap up with sort of our highs and lows for the day. Um, I guess I'll start with my low. Um, so today during rehearsal, we um, it was pretty normal, but um, I had a lot of ice cream and dairy last night, so um, I was feeling a little bit nauseous. So um, as the day went on, I felt a little bit better, but um, that was sort of my low. And then um, my high for the day was actually seeing the Wes Anderson exhibit in um, the Art History Museum. It was sort of this entire uh, section of the museum that had been uh, created by Wes Anderson, um, and he sort of put some of um, his inspirations um, in there. Or not his inspirations, but just things that he found interesting, and I likewise found them interesting, mm. sort of having a glimpse into his mind almost. Did you see the checkered violin and then the music note almost like stones in it? Ooh. Yeah, there, there were a lot of very interesting objects in there. It was a blend between its uh, of just kind of surreal paintings to, uh, you, to the natural objects and so then a lot of music that I found interesting as someone who hasn't seen a Wes Anderson film but plans when we get back. Yeah, <laughs> yes. they are very um, they are very characteristic of um, some of those things. You'll sort of see some connections. Yeah, um, and I did enjoy a lot of today, but I wish I we had more time to truly dive deeper mm -hmm. into the primarily the museums. It was a tight schedule, 
And while we learned a lot, it would have been nice to dig deeper, especially in the Exile Art Museum. Mm -hmm. I wanted to read more about these composers and speak with that with the director, yeah. especially about a composer that I wanted to learn more about as he left Austria when he was 17, had the money, and then bought his father out of Auschwitz and escaped to the U.S. Right. And then worked as a music journalist for decades mm. and with people not knowing that he was on the edge of being a classically trained composer until finally near the end of his retirement started composing and there is going to be a film about that in March that if that is available in the U.S., oh. <laughs> I am going to be seeing that. We'll be right there with you. Alrighty. Uh, I'm gonna. Sh I would have to share Will's low of feeling a little bit, um, you know, really feeling the time constraints. Our days are pretty much packed down to the minute, um, including the, you know, the time it takes to travel in between our destinations. Um, so I definitely would have liked to explore the Art History Museum a little bit more. Um, and then also to have a little bit more time to just breathe and take in everything around us instead of, you know, rushing from place to place. Uh, but in the same breath, that goes along with my um, high of the day, which is that we had, after the art museum, we had dinner and the rest of the evening to ourselves. Um, so a group of a group of my colleagues and I went to find a place for dinner. Uh, we explored the 7th district of Vienna, and that's where we ate. Uh, we, you know looked around at menus and found a couple places that we wanted to try uh, and we just went for it and I think that that's, that's one of the best ways to kind of connect more to a city. A new place uh, is just acting normal, acting like maybe, like we live there, like it's you know our daily, you know, not so, not doing, obviously the museums have huge benefits and we can't get anything like those in the states. Um, but just getting a feel for the daily culture is also a great uh, thing to be able to do while here. And yeah. speaking of that uh, mm -hmm. high of finding that culture, today was the, one of the main moments that it finally clicked that, Vi that Vienna is a musician city. Mm. Not just from the past, but from the present. You see cellists and violinists walking the streets almost every other block there's some sort of either advertisement or statue towards these classical composers and also uh, Oz is comment on the being able to explore for ourselves both improved that but also was able to start building more friendships outside of our usual habit as not only have I personally been growing through the music, but I've been definitely becoming better friends and colleagues with the other musicians in the Philharmonic. There are people who I didn't know their name, and now I can sit down and have a meal with them and have a blast. True. I think we all can share that sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, this podcast has also been a fun experience. Um, this episode is coming to a conclusion, I think. Um, it's been great talking with you today. Uh, if you've been listening, 
Thanks for sticking around. We hope you enjoy what you're hearing. As always, feel free to leave us any comments um, and let us know what you think. We will see you all tomorrow for another great day. Um, and also stay tuned for the announcement uh, of our name. Of course. Um, of course the we'll name. We'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's wrap for today. I'm Osniv. I'm Davison. And I'm Will. And have a good night.